Welcome to Dr. D's Social Network. Thank you to everyone who continues to listen in and hopefully enjoys a wide variety of guests and topics. Life is filled with so many different things to be curious about. I hope you'll continue to be curious with me. To live is to often struggle. And there's often joy in between those times as well. In the times that we're living in now, we're in a clash, a grinding, a collision. There's lots of chaos. But a lot of times when you're grinding something and you're pushing and you're pulling and you're feeling about where you should go is when things begin to change. I'm happy to share a variety of stories on my podcast. And today our guest is Karan Hawkins. And we discuss a lot of stories related to growing up, being black in America, what that means, and the media and everything in between. Just a wonderful conversation between two black men about life, about how things are portrayed in our sphere, in our world, but also how the world is growing and hopefully that we can understand more about each other, what we learn about COVID-19, what we learn about racial inequality, the history of black people. I hope you will join me with an open heart, an open mind, open your spirit to discussion. Ladies and gentlemen, Karan Hawkins. Ron, man, I am so pumped. I loved our conversation we had off air before. So thank you for coming on air with me today. Absolutely, Darren. It's honestly uh, such an honor and a pleasure to be here. I've listened to a few of your episodes and you've had some really groundbreaking guests on here and had some really thought-provoking conversations that really got me um, going down some rabbit holes. Um, I really enjoyed your uh, the podcast. I don't remember the, the woman's name. Um, but you were talking about um, prison reform and poetry and, oh, that one. It, it, I, I texted you uh, right after I listened to it. Yeah. It really struck me. And it was it was one that I really resonated with. So, um, yeah, you have a great, great podcast. And, again, just an honor to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, the uh, lady's name is Kate Smeisner, and she's mm. an amazing person. Like, just her spirit, her soul, just her being, her energy is amazing. And uh, just her poetry is incredible, and the work she's doing in uh, poetry and prison reform is really incredible. And there's going to be more of that coming on. I have some really like hard hitting stuff coming up. Awesome. That, yeah, I think it'll be really um, impactful for a lot of people. I think it's going to be good. Can't wait to hear. But, but you have your own podcast, and tell me a little bit about your journey into podcasting as we kind of go down this rabbit hole first. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> sure. So uh, my podcast is called The Chronic Lifestyle Podcast. I've been doing it on and off since 2016. And I got into it because someone just told me, you should get a podcast. I was like, why? I don't, I, I don't have anything to say. And they were like, no, 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 no. Like you're, you're doing this thing and you, you quit your job and blah, blah, blah. You should do it. And I was like, all right, sure. So, you know, I've been recently binging Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V for short, and he was all about documentation, documentation, podcast, podcast, get on the podcast wave. It's going to be huge. It's going to blow up. So, you know, I started and I just told my story. The first two episodes are just about me, where I'm from and, you know, my upbringing and some of the adversities that I'd faced at that time in my life. I was 21, 22. Yeah. I just quit my job and I landed in Pittsburgh, uh, Pennsylvania. I was kind of starting over. Um, so just a, a little bit of background on all that. I'm uh, born and raised in New York City, Queens, New York, to be specific, and I did K through eight, all in New York, and then I'm, I left for high school. I went to Deerfield Academy out in Massachusetts, and that was a one of the first culture shocks of my life because growing up in an you know inner city, I don't interact with um, many Caucasian Americans, um, and that school was predominantly Caucasian American. It was. Uh, 90 something percent white 
So that was the first interaction that I've had um, at such a large scale um, with white people, mm-hmm. to be honest. And um, yeah. that was uh, strange at first. But, you know, over time, I just come to treat them just like anybody else. And that's a, a big thing that I learned because, you know, growing up, I didn't have much exposure to anyone besides, you know, black, Latino, um, Asian Americans, etc. So that was the first experience I had with a quote unquote, you know, diverse uh, student body that wasn't someone that I was used to seeing. So that was interesting. And then fast forward a little bit more. I went to college at uh, Carnegie Mellon University. I studied information systems and business. And from there, I went back to New York to essentially work a job that I (laughs) did not like very much. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a corporate job. I was a cybersecurity analyst. And I, I can't tell you just sitting there on a desk, on a computer every day, staring at a screen, not really interacting with that many people because when you, when you're in that cubicle, it's just that, you know, you don't really move much. I, I made it a point to get up often and try and schedule meetings and meet people. But oftentimes it's so hard because everyone's in their own box and collaboration is difficult. There's a lot of red tape and it just wasn't the life for me. I know some people love corporate America. That's great. Um, however, it just wasn't for me. So I ended up quitting that job and I uh, actually applied to the sports medicine program at the University of Pittsburgh first, and I got rejected in literally a week. Uh, I I got the email on on the subway one day, and it, it crushed me. I was crushed because you know my, my dream was to be like Sean T, who is a uh, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, he's uh, he did. You gonna do hip hop ads? Is that what you're gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> it was it was gonna be insanity, hip hop ads, whatever it was gonna be. But yeah. you know, my dream was just to be had to have my own video, have my own program, work with Beachbody, do the whole nine, and just blow up. But um, you know, it that that dream and that that vision transformed many, 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 many times as I got older, but. That was the initial desire. So, you know, when I got denied from sports medicine, I was like, oh, no, the dream is over. But then I said, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Let's see why. So, excuse me, I emailed her, the uh, the dean, and I said, what happened? I, I literally asked, I just got denied from this, blah, blah, blah. I'd like to know, you know, what, what I can work on, what to improve on for, you know, future application. And she said, you just don't have the prerequisites. And my in my brain, I'm like, oh, no wonder I got denied so quickly because they had nothing to consider. It's like, oh, he doesn't fit these prerequisites. He can't. He literally cannot do it. Um, so I asked, you know, are there any alternative programs, anything else that I could do besides just sports bed? And he said, yeah, go check out the health and physical activity program in the School of Education. I said, great. You know, I thanked her, went on my way. Apply for HPA, um, wrote an essay that uh, – Honestly, I'd never put more effort into a written piece of work in my life. And I got in by some grace of something. Who knows how? Uh, but I got in. Uh, never took an exercise physiology class in my life, let alone a physical or uh, a physiology class, anatomy, none of that. I'd just taken bio in high school. That was the last time I took anything having to do with anatomy or, you know, uh, biology, anything like that, high school. So I had a lot of catching up to do. But I was thankful. I got in. I quit my job, put in my two weeks notice, and I dropped everything. I left New York. I left the financial security. I left, uh, you know, not having to worry about money because, you know, growing up, I, I sound like I was poor, but, you know, we didn't have that much. We had enough to get by. And, you know, this speaks to the strength of my mom. She never let me see her struggle. She she never let me see what reality was in that regard. Financial struggle was something I'd never really come to understand until, you know, I got into my teens when I really started to see things. But there were multiple times where we were in trouble. Like, you know, my mom had breast cancer. Um, she's a survivor uh, going on 10, 10 plus years. Um, thank goodness. Wow. Yeah. And um, during that time she couldn't work. 
She's a, a mail processing clerk at the post office, USPS. And, you know, you can't move around boxes if you are recovering from chemotherapy and radiation. So she was, uh, it was, it was, it was the hardest thing to see. She was bone thin in her bed every day. Couldn't get out of bed, couldn't really eat, couldn't do anything. Um, and, you know, I just, I just watched her there. And for a while I, I thought, I really thought in my brain that she was going to die. Cause I, I'd, I'd never seen her like that. My, my mom, I honestly, my first experience with fitness was from my mom. She got me into Tybo. She got me into all that <laughs> stuff. My, yeah. my, my mom was so fit, like six pack, the whole, the whole wow. nine. You know what I mean? Like she was doing yoga every day. Like she, she was the fitspo before IG was a thing. Yeah, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so seeing her like that, just, it just, it, it, it changed me. And that was the first time I really saw her struggle. And um, I, I always knew that it was, it was cancer, even when I was a kid, because I, I heard her on the phone talking with my aunt, but I never told her because I didn't want her to be worried about it. Cause I figured, you know, she got, she got enough to worry about. I'm, I'm not yeah. going to tell her that I know, um, you know, and I, I was 10 um, when, when she got it, but yeah. Um, fast forwarding again. So going back to getting accepted and all that. So I quit my job, came back to Pittsburgh and that leads me to your original question, which is, you know, why did I start my podcast? Mm-hmm. I started it just to to document the journey, to tell the story, um, why I'm doing what I'm doing. You know, I, I didn't really know if anyone was listening, but I just threw it out there. And then, you know, it, it slowly, slowly developed and caught some fire. But um, I've learned the importance of documentation and just understanding that every day is just a chance to just get even 0.01% better. I used to be, you know, I need to get this thing now, you know, the instant gratification um, honestly, pandemic that's going on where Instagram has created this and media has created this image of like, we can get things right away, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, you know, <laughs> the 60 day success program. Yeah. Um, and there's definitely useful information out there that you can gain in 60 days. However, um, in my, my ex- experience, empirical knowledge is the most valuable knowledge. And you, you can't get that from reading a book or doing a course or, you know, even learning from someone in a weekend. It takes years. It takes years of hardship, adversity, and just looking at this one thing you can't do and just trying to do it over and over and over and over and over again until eventually you get it. And then you find the next thing that you have to have that same cycle on. So, you know, that, that's just what my life's been, just trying to get just a little bit better every single day in every aspect of my life. Well, one, thank you for sharing that. That's really amazing. And okay. uh, I knew I was going to love this episode, man. I, and we're going places with this episode. Um, <laughs> I want to talk more about adversity a little bit. And I know, sure. you know, you and I have, have had discussions, you know, through text and things that nature, and we just passed Father's Day yeah. just recently. And I know you had kind of mentioned what would come up. And I just thought, yeah, it probably will. And now it's, the timing seems right. Let's talk a little bit. You talked about your mom. Tell us a little bit about your dad and that relationship. Yeah. So, man, that 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 relationship has been up and down for years. And just to give some people backstory, um, my dad has been in prison basically since I was born. Um, so for about 26 years, he's been behind bars uh, for a crime he didn't commit. Uh, he was falsely accused. And this is, again, why, why the prison reform and poetry episode really hit me hard. He was falsely accused of murder. It was a, I won't describe the crime. Yeah. It's, it's very gruesome and, and, and horrible what happened to this woman, but she was murdered. And, you know, my, I, I won't say my father was perfect. He did some bad things. Um, and, you know, they were trying to pin him for other things. So uh, off of the testimony of one witness, um, a judge put him and I think four or five of his friends away for life. Uh, 25 to life, <clears throat> excuse me. And, you know, think now, now that I'm older and I guess more mature, I can put things in other perspectives. But at the time, I just hated him. I hated him with every ounce of my being because, you know, I would, 
every year, every single year, every Father's Day, I would see everybody with their fathers online and having fun and doing this. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Dad. And that was, I'd never been able to say that. I never been able to say, yeah, hey, hey, guys, this is my dad. This is my father. Like, I've never been able to introduce him to anybody. I've never been able to talk about him without saying that. Like, oh, where is he? Oh, he's, he's in prison. Oh, where is he? He's in prison. Like, that was something that was part of my identity. And I think that that was the sort of poisonous foundation of our relationship. The fact that I could only identify him as a prisoner and not my father. Like, I, 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 was, I remember... <clears throat> Sorry about that. I just ate. It's okay, um, man. <laughs> um, I remember for a time, I only called him, I called him Al. Like, I, I didn't call him dad, I, I would say. Um, or I'd call him, like, something very formal. Like, yes, my, my, my father. Like, I would never call him dad. Um, I only recently started calling him dad in the last couple of years. And that came after multiple, multiple conversations. But, um, you know, at first, like I said, I, I hated him because he lied to me. He lied to me because he had to. And, and I understand that now. You know, there's, there's a lot of things out on the internet. There's a lot of, there's a movie about him. Um, I won't say what the movie is because I don't want people going crazy about it. Um, but he, he was a big figure back in the day. He was a big figure. He, he tells me stories nowadays about things he, um, he used to do, who he used to know. And you know, I, I didn't have access to that information. I didn't give him a chance to tell me who he was because I'd already created this image. And I, I, and I think the media has a, part, has a part to play in that as well because, you know, there's a lot of media out there that says prisoners are all bad. Everyone's bad. If you're in prison, you're a bad person and, you know, you don't, you don't belong in society. Um, but there's a lot of good people that get locked up for something they didn't do. And, you know, they, they, they spend years, years in prison and their lives are ruined. They, the liberties are taken away from them. and You know, they're forced to work for something they didn't, they didn't do. So, you know, that played a big role in my perception of my father. But um, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story just to tell you the kind of person he was uh, back in the day in terms of his influence on the um, hip hop industry. Um, so my dad was best friends with LL Cool J. He was best friends um, with Irv Gotti. Um, he was uh, who was part of. Uh, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think of uh, Murder Inc. Um, mm -hmm. he, he helped create all that. Um, he, he was a big, big influence on um, Fubu. He, he's, he's best best friends with Damon John. And I, you know, I I had Damon John on my podcast, and, and we kicked it, and you know. He's like, I would call him a light mentor. He's a big, busy dude, but, you know, yeah. I hit him up from time to time, just ask him very brief yes or no questions. And he's been gracious enough to give me that time of day. So thank you to him. Um, but, you know, my dad knew a lot of people and he was very influential. Um, and the story I wanted to tell you, he was, he was hosting a, um, a concert in Baltimore. I guess you, you would call it a show. They didn't really call it concerts, um, yeah. but... But he, he had a show in Baltimore and he had people like Black Sheep, um, The Large Professor. He had um, a couple other people, um, hip hop artists back, back in the, I want to say that was late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. And then, you know, there, there, was, there was this one dude, <laughs> this one small dude, no one knew yet. His name was Jay-Z. And um, Jay-Z was uh, sm small time back then. You know, he, he, was, he was a new cat. So my dad was in charge of delegating payment and delegating people's rides home and all that stuff. He was like, he was the, the project manager, if you will, of this large event. It was his event. So he was, he was paying people, getting people together and blah, blah, blah. And, um, Jay offered to do it for free. And my dad was like, what, but why, why, why do you want to do this for free? Like, this is, now I want to give you at least a, a 500, like some, I want to give you something. Yeah. And, and Jay said, you know, um, the prize is the process. Like I am thankful enough. This is obviously paraphrasing Jay-Z, but um, he says, I'm thankful enough to be here on stage with some of the greatest to ever do it. People who I look up to, um, to go after them is an honor just to be in the space is an honor. And, you know, I, I, I trust that I'm going to be where I need to be if I'm in this environment. So, um, from day one, Jay knew about the process. He understood the importance of the process. The process is the prize and the prize is the process. You know, 
oftentimes people say keep your eyes on the prize, but Jay would say keep your eyes on the process and just stay in stay in the moment and continue doing what you have to do to be in that environment to grow and just get better. And you know, at, at the end of the show, um, my dad was again delegating rides home for the artists, and Jay said, I, "I'm gonna ride with you." So Jay Z back then wanted to ride with my dad and just kick it with him. So you know, they they kicked it and, and talked and. You know, my dad never forget that. And he told me that story and it blew my mind because that's crazy. He he was gonna be the guy like the that that bridged all the gaps in in, in Def Jam with like Rough Riders and Murder Inc. and all, all these smaller labels. He was gonna be the guy at the top with Hype Williams and you know, creating and he was gonna be that guy. Um but you know, life life happened the way it did, and he was unfortunately imprisoned. But I think nowadays I look at him very differently. Um, Father's Day, I'm thankful I still have a dad. I, I know people whose dads didn't give a crap about them, who left by choice. You know what I mean? Like my dad at least loved me and still cared about me. He still wanted to be in my life. He's made time after time after time calls me. You, you know. Uh, mail, writes me songs. Like he, he cares. Whereas some dads are in people's lives, but just don't care. Like to me, I think that's more painful to know that the person who helped create you doesn't give two, you know, SHITs yeah. about you. So um, I've learned to flip the, the script and flip perspectives on things where I originally hated him. Now I, I love him because even though he is where he is and he's, um, you know, been separated from me from for since I was born, 26 years of my life, he still makes an effort to be in my life. And I sent him an email um, through this thing called JPay, uh, And, you know, I, I told him, I said, you know, we, we've had some, some rough times and our relationship has been up and down, but I, I do want you to be in my life and I do care about you and I do love you and um, happy Father's Day because you're, even though you are where you are, like I said, you still make an effort to be a part of my life. So, you know, when things are the hardest, a lot of people give up, but he's still there. He's still caring. He's still showing himself, his true self to me. So, um, you know, it's, it's definitely a strange relationship, but, you know, hopefully when he gets out soon, it'll be a real one and it'll be in person and I'll be able to hug him and, you know, have have a yeah. drink with them and just catch up. That'd be awesome, man. I, yeah. I mean, I want that for you. I definitely want that for you. That's amazing. And thank you for sharing that. I wonder in transitioning on and keeping in the same way, how that relationship has affected you as you're seeing the social or you know, racial unrest in our country and and how that has been manifested and highlighted in our lives, especially I would say in lives like you and I, two black men, yeah. how has that affected you? Uh, it's this, this stuff going on is, is, is complex. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's heavy. It's heavy. It's very yes. heavy. Um, and it's heavy for multiple reasons. Um, it's heavy firstly, because I believe that um, some companies are championing champ championing. I think that's a word. Um, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> words are hard sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it. But um, I, I feel that certain companies are, you know, championing the Black Lives Matter movement purely for PR. Because you think about how social media works nowadays. The idea of canceling is the idea that if public opinion, uh, so you know, some, sometimes they call it the court of public opinion, deems your brand to be, you know, toxic, whatever it may be. People can band together and cancel you, which means you stop getting leads, you stop getting business, you stop getting yeah. money, and cancel that can, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah it, it can completely destroy lives and completely destroy companies. Um, so I think some of these companies are just doing it just so they don't get canceled. They're, they're they're making all these announcements and you know the black squares and blah blah blah, blah just so they can get some some clout and feed off of the pain of these people protesting out in the streets. Um, 
and I, I honestly, I don't watch mainstream media anymore. It's poisonous. It's poisonous. Whether it's Very. left, right, middle, I don't give a crap. I feel they're all agenda economically and politically driven to create an agenda and a, and a vision that they want you to zero in on. And that's, and I think they're trying to bolster animosity between the sides because the more divisive we are, the more money they make because you're going to tune into their side and their opinion. And people are very tribalistic by nature. So if they don't realize that we're all one tribe, they're going to separate off into other tribes, left, right, conservative, whatever, libertarian. They're, they're going to create these divisions and these camps to keep everyone's uh, energy uh, separated as opposed to c- coming together. And I think that, that that would be the scariest thing for all forms of media, all forms of corporate America. If everybody was just like, yo, I don't give a crap what you look like. We're, we're all together in this. Like, this is our country. We have to come together and do this t- together. I think that would be the, the craziest thing and the, the scariest thing for everyone up top. But as long as they can keep sheeping us and, you know, keep putting the smoke and mirrors up, I think it's going to be hard to make things change. Um, but, you know, speaking on Black America, from my, my experience, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm lucky. I'm, I'm so freaking lucky. I'm so lucky. And, I, and I'll, I'll tell you why I'm lucky. There's a very high percentage, something in the high 70s of um, black households without a father in the house. And, you know, it's, it's detrimental. It's, it's detrimental to the upbringing of the child. Um, and single mothers are some of the strongest humans on this planet. They have to work and take care of a child or children and, you know, watching my mom do it. And she only had me. I couldn't even imagine if she had other kids, you know, she was, she was busting her butt every morning, getting up at, you know, 9 PM working till freaking 5 AM. She had the night shift moving boxes for, for, you know, however many hours, eight, nine hours for, for freaking 20, 15, 20 years, you know, every day, every night, because she had to, there, there was no option that there, there, there was no, you know, uh, let, let's, let's uh, quit my job and go to Pittsburgh. Right, right. She, she didn't have that. She had me and she gave up everything for me. She gave up her college education. She gave up her dreams of being an author. My mom is incredibly talented and she gave it all up for me. So I know that story persists around the world. I'm sorry, around our country. There's single mothers everywhere. I'm sure there's single mothers around the world too, but sure. you know, we're, we're speaking about America right now, I guess. But it's 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 so difficult for these households to prosper because they're just trying to make ends meet. Um and like I said, I'm lucky. My, my mom could have she she could have not cared. She could have just did the bare minimum. She could have just, you know, did whatever she had to do to to, to, you know, so she could do what she wanted to do and I'm at least just fed, you know, but she went above and beyond to make sure I was taken care of in every capacity of the word, um, you know, emotionally, physically, financially, never made me worry about money. Um, every Christmas I got whatever I wanted, like just crazy. Like how, <laughs> how did she do right. it? You know what I mean? And it, it, it took me 26 years um, to really realize that. Um, and at the same time, I think if I had my father in my life, you know, growing up, things would be a lot different. Um, not just because of who he was, but just having a father to, to teach me so many things that, you know, unfortunately my mom just can't teach me. And that's, that's no fault of hers or no, no, there's no ill will toward her, but that, that cohesive unit was missing in my life. And, you know, I, I think people need it. That 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 needs to be a focus. The household needs to be a focus, and I, I know I've heard this narrative on the right a lot. And I'm I don't, I'm not a you know a right con- conservative. I'm not, I'm not anything really. I I just look and I'm like okay. I I like some of this stuff. I like some of that stuff. Exactly. I'm I'm kind of neutral to be honest. I don't like to label myself left or right. I think it's dumb. I think having I'm the a- same way, man. <laughs> like <laughs> I don't understand it. Like I just. <laughs> there's certain things I like that are more conservative. There's certain things that I'm more progressive on, but I don't mm-hmm. need to be labeled as being one or the other side of it. You know? It makes no sense to me. It's like, wh- it's why, why do we have two main parties? It's like red or blue. Agreed. And it's like, pick, <laughs> it's like, pick your poison. And 
when you only have two options, there's such extreme, uh, you know, variances in the, in the degrees of the, 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 uh, I guess you could say animosity on both sides. Like there are some people who just hate conservatives and they never even met the person. It's just because you're a conservative, they hate them. Or there's some people who are liberal or conservatives hate liberals. Like it's just, you don't even know the person. And <laughs> I've, I've championed this idea for a long time. And I think it's really, really important. No matter what your political view is, no matter what your skin color is, no matter where you're from or what you do, I still feel that everyone needs to spend a lot of time on self-mastery, being incredibly self-aware of what things you need to improve on, what stuff you need to fix, what trauma you need to handle, what work you need to do in every aspect of the, like whether it be relationships, emotional, you know, your, your physical well-being, your health, um, you know, your family, everything needs to be intentionally worked on like you would work on a business. You, you are a business. Your, your body is a business. And how you invest in that business ultimately determines on d determines excuse me the output meaning what you do what you say how what your vibes are what your your aura is your perception your mentality everything first starts internally because your predisposed perceptions of reality influence your behavior which thereby influences your actions and then influences your results so if you believe a certain thing about yourself you're going to carry that in every facet of your life and every relationship you have, you're going to have an idea of what you see yourself as and your partner may see something different, but your idea is going to persist unless you change that idea. Um, and I'm not saying that the idea doesn't necessarily has to be good or bad, but um, for me personally, I, I was very, very, very self-conscious. I was very, very um, insecure with myself. Um, and you know, I, I've been told I, I'm a good looking dude. I've been told I'm a bad looking dude. I've been told everything. So <laughs> it, 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 it don't matter yeah. what they say. It, it matters what, what I feel. And, you know, I, I was bullied since, uh, kindergarten through like, like my sophomore slash, I would say sophomore year of high school, junior year. Yeah. It's when it kind of stopped and I finally started sticking up for myself, but you know, they, they beat me up, they spit on me, they called me names all throughout my, my whole school career. So, you know, when you're told that you're nothing for 12 years, you kind of start to believe it. And that stuff carries on into your adulthood. So in many relationships, many, I would not respect myself, meaning mm -hmm. a partner would cross boundaries and I would just say whatever, you know, she, she didn't mean that or whatever. It's it's fine. And it would happen again and again and again and again. And I would lie to myself and say, this behavior is okay. I can accept this behavior to be true. And, you know, she can do whatever she wants. And, you know, growing up, I didn't just have my mom in the house. I had um, my aunt and my cousin and, and my other aunt. So sometimes I had four women in the household um, raising me. And that shaped a lot of my perception of women. So a lot of the times I would uh, give too much. And what I mean by that is I would be too endearing, too nice. Like I would just, I would let them walk all over me essentially. Right. I didn't know how to stand up for myself without fearing retaliation from them. Because retaliation isn't necessarily a bad thing. If you have certain principles that you don't shake on. Like I will never be disrespected. You will never come in my face and call me out my name. If someone does that to me, that's not someone I want to associate with, but women have done that. And I've allowed it to happen and said, Oh, like I said before, Oh, it's okay. You know, she didn't mean it. I, you know, I love her. It's fine. As long as I love her, it's okay. Like she can do whatever she wants. That, that was the story that was going on in my brain. It was very unhealthy. I had some very unhealthy relationships, but um, you know, whether or not that would have happened with my dad in the picture or not, I don't know. I can't say for sure. Cause I don't, I'm, you know, I'm not a, uh, a psychic. I can't go back in time. I'm not a time traveler. I don't know, but yeah. I do, I do think it, it, it would be different. And that internal struggle needs to be worked on every single day. So again, this goes back to my um, previous point about, uh, working on the self and self mastery, whatever you want to change in your life, 
if you're not good in, in your head, you're not good in your body, you're not comfortable in your own skin, good luck. Because nothing will change unless you change yourself. And then that's, that's my, my opinion on those things. So let me ask you something. How do you get your news? Because I know you want to stay informed with what's going on here in the world. There's so much going on on a regular basis. And it's something that's been a problem for me personally. And I've been searching and searching and searching. And finally, I found a news source that I think all of my listeners are going to love. It's called The Donut, or The Dose of News Useful Today. The founder and CEO, Peter Nowak, is a good friend of mine. And when he turned me on to it, I was just blown away. Finally, a daily news source that delivers succinct and factual news about all the world's occurrences. And it's an easy access to finding things that you just want to get information about. And it also serves up a lot of positive news stories that you won't hear anywhere else. It's your daily reminder that there is good in the world, even if it doesn't feel like it sometimes. So get the donut, stay informed. It's 100% free. You can unsubscribe anytime. Visit thedonut.co or text donut to 66866 to sign up today. So what do you think we've learned about ourselves from COVID-19 and racial inequality and um, what we're going through right now? What are the lessons or what have we learned through these two things so far? And hopefully what will we learn as we go further down the line here? Man, that, that is a good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see, what have we learned and what will we learn? So I, I, I think we've learned what it truly means to be resilient. I think we learned what it truly means to adapt in all senses of the word because, excuse me, hmm. sorry about that again. Um, we've learned to adapt in many ways. Some people, and I, I think this narrative is, is very common because, you know, I've seen it with my own eyes. Again, that's anecdotal. I don't have any data to back a lot of this stuff up, but I'm just going to you know speak for my opinion. A lot of small businesses were decimated from COVID-19, absolutely decimated. And it's, it's tough because when you bust your butt every day, get up at 5, 30, 6 a.m. every day to, to you know, do what you love and you, you're, you're passionate, you're working 12-hour days, you know, you're, you're really busting your butt and giving it your all. And then you're ordered to stay inside because of this pandemic and you, you, you don't have any way to pivot and change. And, you know, by no fault of your own, you, you lose money and you eventually have to close down your, your doors. Like that's, that's painful. That's really painful. Um, so for people like that, it's, it's tough to, to find, you know, a saving grace. I mean, there's something in there, but you'd have to really dig. Um, and then for others who were able to pivot, they had to, and they created, you know, online systems, delivery for restaurants, et cetera. Um, a lot, a lot of things were, were being changed literally overnight. Restaurants that were only dine in had to become dine out, take out instantly because they had to. Um, I personally lost a lot of money, a lot of freaking money. Clients lost jobs. I couldn't train people in person anymore. A lot of my clientele is older and, you know, I, I can't risk obviously endangering their lives. So I, I canceled every single session. I said, you know, training is canceled indefinitely because like, we have no idea what's going on. We don't know how long it's going to last, how dangerous this is. We don't know any mortality rates yet. Like this, it just kind of came out that things were shutting down. So we didn't have a lot of data yet. Um, so I, I just, I said, screw it. We're going to close everything. And, you know, lo and behold, two days later, the um, real estate company that owns uh, my gym, they, they, they padlocked the door. So, you know, it was going to happen anyway, but um, I think we've really learned how to progress regardless because things, things changed. We saw a lot of business go to online. We saw a lot of pop-up shots online. We saw a lot of online shopping, um, grocery delivery, you know, whatever the adjustment may be, we've seen people adapt and we've seen um, pain, we've seen struggle, we, we, we've seen and, and we've learned what it truly means to be powerless. Because when all these things happen, when, when again, when I lost, you know, tens of thousands of dollars overnight um, in terms of projected yearly income, literally overnight, 
I had no control over that. I can't do anything about that. So we had the choice of, you know, being upset, complaining, which is completely fine and normal to do. But, you know, having that narrative and doing it over and over again, day in and day out, complaining and, you know, um, saying kind of woe is me. Or we had the choice of finding a way because in entrepreneurship, you got to find a way because things are going to happen. You got to be able to pivot. You got to be able to change. And sometimes that that process is hard. It's long. and It's grueling. It's gruesome. And, you know, we, we learned what true adversity is on a national scale. Thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people lost their jobs. Unemployment, super high, basically greater than the worse than the Great Depression um, back in those days. So a ton of people were just kind of SOL, you know, um, SHIT out of luck. Yeah. And uh, again, by no fault of their own. So we learned a lot about adaptation and, and continuing on and recovering regardless of what was happening in the world. And, you know, as, as we go forward, I think we'll, we'll learn, like we have learned, that the media is poisonous. We'll learn that we cannot trust every source of media we, we hear and listen to um, because, you know, like my points before, I think a lot of them are agenda-driven and economically driven. As long as they have your attention, they have your, your dollars. So, you know, I, I, I do think that we're going to continue to see that the media is not really out to help us. And I think we're going to learn that we have to band together and have long, drawn-out conversations. And not drawn out in like a negative sense, like they have to be long, sort of in podcast form, like we're doing right now. We're having a conversation and those things are important to hear multiple perspectives that aren't just your own. It's really easy to to have, um, what's the word I'm thinking of, uh, bias in, in terms of, you know, if someone else has your idea, it's really easy to just be like, oh yeah, they, they believe what I believe, so it must be right. And then you hear that, you know, thousands and thousands of times, it's, it's, it's dangerous. So I think people will learn that we have to listen to each other, even if we don't agree. That's the biggest thing that I've seen both sides do. They just drown out what they don't want to hear. And then when the other side claims that the other side is doing that, uh, they say, oh, no, 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 their points are invalid. But when they're on the other side, they don't honor free speech. It's like it's, a, it's, it's both ways. So it's, yeah. that's something that's dangerous, too. So hopefully that's what we'll, we'll learn soon, that we have to listen to each other. No matter what. Is that the big point behind or what we've learned about, and maybe there's more about race in America? I mean, as this has become such a huge point in the coverage of what's going on and protesting and police reform, what, what have we learned on that? And what do we need to learn moving forward about race in America? Yeah, um, that's a great question. And, you know, I'm, I'm 26 years old. I, I, I don't know anything. I'm not a, <laughs> I, I am not a political guy. I, I'm, I'm not a historian. I, I don't know the, I don't know all the data. I'm not an economist. You know, I, I'm not going to sit here and claim to know the answers because I definitely don't. Um, I'm going to give simply my opinion and, you know, some people are going to disagree. Maybe some people agree. I don't know. But um, I think the race issue in America is, has a lot of precedence. And it's been kind of been brewed on for, you know, decades. And there's a lot of history out there that people don't know about. Like during the Reconstruction, black people were f- doing freaking great. We were great. We were in political office. We had money. We had influence. We had skills, labor. Because, I mean, think about it. We were doing everything. So right. we made everything. Exactly. So it's like, everything. hey, okay, we're free now. Cool. Let's just go do stuff and build stuff with all the skills we have. Now we don't have to do it for free anymore. So, you know, it's – and then Black Codes and Jim Crow laws and KKK and blah, blah, blah. All that stuff came into play and we were further um, put down in many different ways. Um but just off of that premise alone, the lack of resources, the lack of loans, the lack of uh, banks um, giving us access to funds to create that generational wealth that a lot of our counterparts who aren't of color had. And I'm not saying that all white people had that. Some, some, I know tons of white people who struggled and didn't have that generational wealth, but the overwhelming majority 
um, in comparison to Black wealth. It's, 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 it doesn't even compare. Um, so that disparity of, of resources is the biggest reason why there is there is an issue, why these ghettos exist, why, um, you know, black people just couldn't really create what we had during the Reconstruction, what we had in Tulsa, what we had in, in all these places that were quite literally burned down to the ground um, by people who, you know, quote unquote, did not agree with us making it and us doing well when we were seen as slaves for, you know, a long time, hundreds of years. So, you know, people say, stop talking about slavery, but you, you can't. Because <laughs> you have it, to talk about it. <laughs> it it's, it, it's the precedence for why things are the way they are. Why, you know, the economic gap and the wealth gap is so big between minorities, specifically people of color, black people, and white people. I mean, it's just, it's just the reality. So um, I think that's, that's what we've learned. Um, we're learning that history. Okay. I actually, I heard this, this really cool quote. I'm going to paraphrase it because I'm probably going to butcher it. Um, <laughs> if the media is so messed up, what do you think history is? I was like, mm. whoa. Mm. Oh, whoo. Mm. That that hit me hard. I was yeah, like, man. Man, no, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> that's it's it's crazy. I mean, you think about that. Like the media is so economically driven, politically driven, whatever. Um, you know, court of public opinion, whatever it may be. History must be a whole nother ball game because those textbooks have to get approved. You know, we <laughs> we have one month to learn about black people. <laughs> Exactly, which is crazy, by the way. Which is just crazy. It's so dumb, actually, in my opinion. Like, this is ridiculous. I'm sorry, it is. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I mean, I, I think we need to learn about Black people all year and not just... Agreed. <laughs> ...one month. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the history itself is a whole different topic. Well, history is is greatly shaped by the victor. Mm. For, and... and how the story is told, the narrative of history is greatly influenced by who is on top and who is the majority of that. 100%. And, and I think that's what part of what we're learning too is like, what's actually our real history? Like if you actually go back and you really learn what happened for, and I think that's what's happening with especially a lot of white people that they're, they're actually taking the time to go back and look yep. and it's ugly. And they're like, this is for real? Like, this is what happened. Like, yeah. <laughs> Don't you know, this is why black people are upset. Like, you <laughs> haven't taken the time to learn about us and our history. Like, if you actually went outside of yourself, look beyond the daily things you deal with and, and look into the, the past of someone else, regardless of who it is, Native Americans, black people, uh, Asian Americans, whatever it is. You're gonna see some stuff. You've you you just blow your mind. It will literally yeah. blow your mind. Yeah. Uh, you go in the past of of women, it'll blow your mind, and what women have had to go through to get to where they are today. No doubt. We just don't take the time to understand each other. We just go. I'm on this team. You're on that team. And even if what you're saying makes sense to me, I have to stay on my team. I have to be a part of my team. And I may believe you, but I can't chance alienating my team exactly. and what I'm on. And I think that's just so wrong. And I hope that what we're learning is that history is not the history you learned in your textbook. It's just not. It's just like if somebody said civil, the Civil War was about states' rights. That's not true at all. <laughs> civil War was about slavery. And not just slavery, but the economics of slavery. Because if you freed all of the slaves, you would completely destroy your workforce, essentially. Yep. And people don't want to recognize it. It's the truth, though. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> you know, it's like, and people are learning actually about the Civil War and they're learning about the first slave ship that came over and what was that like and landing in Point Comfort. And it was called the White Lion. Like, no, nobody takes the time to learn that stuff. Yeah. But if yeah. you did, it would completely throw who you think people are and why they have struggled for that. And I just, I'm a big proponent of, of learning, looking backward, but with an eye of not 
this is what somebody told me, but really look back at the historical facts about it. Yeah. 100%. I truly believe education is a cure for all you know, types of ignorance. It's the cure for hate. It's the cure for racism. I think it's the cure for everything. And, I, and to be specific on that, what we don't know, we inherently fear. And what we sometimes mm. what we fear, we hate. And we only hate it because we don't know it and we were scared of it. It's like yeah. it's like a, a, a new device that flops. Like everyone's like, oh, this, this is weird. This is terrible. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not looking at that. What the heck is this? And, and it flops. It's like, what, why did it flop? Because it makes so much sense. It, it makes things convenient. It's easier. Oh, but I don't know that. I, I, don't, I don't like it. And that's why launching a product is so hard. But um, I, I want to say his name is... Darren, Daryl Davis. I don't remember his name. He's awesome. I know. Okay. He's, uh, yeah. He talked to KKK members and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh my yeah. goodness. Great story. One of the great, if you could get that guy on here. Oh my goodness. Oh, I need to get him on, man. He's you so do. awesome. You do. <laughs> so um, this musician, just to kind of pair for uh, short, shorten the story a little bit. This musician essentially befriended a KKK. I think he was a, a grand wizard. I don't remember what, yeah. what his, his title was, but he befriended a grand wizard or some high ranking a member of the KKK. And how it started was uh, he wanted to get an interview and he, he told his, uh, his secretary, hey, don't tell him that I'm black. So they eventually met in a hotel and um, in the interview was going on and, you know, things there was like a kind of like a pause, like a really long pause and things were so tense and, and they're just kind of looking at each other and just silent. And then they both just hear like this crash and everyone's like got their gun ready. The, the body, the bodyguard of the grand wizard has his gun, hand on his gun, ready, ready to pull it out. And the grand wizard's like back and, and, you know, Daryl's like scared. And then, you know, they, they realized that it was some ice melting in a cooler and some soda cans hit the bottom of the cooler. Mm-hmm. And they all just kind of share a laugh because, you know, it's a, such a, a tense moment when, you know, a KKK member and a black man are having a conversation. You wouldn't even think that'd be possible. And then you realize that you're both as scared as the other one is. And you have connectivity in that. You you relate in that. And, you know, Daryl Davis has gotten over 200 KKK members to put up their, their coat and quit. Just because they they never really mess with a black dude, they they don't they never talk to black people. Before. <laughs> they, they just don't know. And yeah. it, and you think about it, if if you're from the day you're born to you know when and you you're old, you're told black people are inferior, black people are stupid, black people are dangerous, black black people are this, black people are that. It's crazy. It's crazy. And again, this again goes back to the media, how we're portrayed in movies, how we're portrayed in TV shows, how we're portrayed on the Internet, memes. The amount of times I've had to correct someone who thought I was this or that simply because of the way I looked and they would reference a freaking TV show. And I'd be like, oh, like this is the problem. Like (laughs) you don't know black people. You only learn from what you see on TV. They think we're all dumb athletes. Like they think we're exactly. And not saying athletes are dumb, but I'm saying like that's they 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 put together our intelligence and our athletic ability, and it's like you only have one or the other. It's like either or you're just you- like hip hop. Oh, you just you listen to hip. Oh, that's what you want to. You want to be a rapper. You want to be an athlete. Yeah. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> come on. We're, we're so much more than that, and yeah, you know, I, I I think that's why there was a big outrage over. Um, I forgot the the uh, woman's name. But she told LeBron to shut up and dribble, and he's and he's like, yeah. "What? I'm I'm more than an athlete. Like I have a brain. I, I have opinions. I have influence. I I help people. I don't just dribble a basketball for your entertainment." So, you know that that's what we've been seen as for so long. I mean, if, even if you go way back in the day, people paid to just watch us tap dance, and people put our faces on to look like us, to 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 be us. It's like people want to be black, but they don't want to be black. That's that's that's. That's what it is at the end of the day. You want to get a tan, but you don't want to be, you don't have a real tan. Man, <laughs> you don't want a permanent tan. You, you don't you, want that permanent tan. <laughs> you want to go incognito when it's convenient. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, man. It's uh, it's frustrating. I think that's hopefully what some people are learning is like, it's exhausting on a daily basis. It is. Sometimes it is. being black, because you're always trying to climb this mountain, this hill, just to be at the same level. 
as people okay. that are you know are, that are not your color, you know, white folks. And it's like, man, see, like you just want to you just want to have the opportunity. You just want to be on a level playing field, not trying to run the world, man. You know, yeah. it's like yeah. just trying to. There's a lot of responsibility in being in something like that. I mean, that's crazy. It comes with a lot of other stuff. Just just have a place at the table. Yeah. And 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 have an equal fair shot at that. I mean, I don't think that's too much to ask for, you know. Yeah. But yeah. it's just a lot of misinformation, a lot of you know polarization. And I, and I remember growing up it was like, I used to hate when like the this this used to bother me so much when like be you know you watch an athlete on TV, black athlete, and the announcer would go, oh, he speaks so well. And I'd be like, that's such an insult. That is such an insult. You're all because he speaks speaks so well because for a black person, that's basically what they're saying. Oh like, oh, look, he speaks so well. And it was just backhanded, you know, racist comments and stuff. It's like, really? And no, we never did anything about it. We did nothing about it. And I was like, he speaks. So, I just, my parents would always be so pissed about that. I would be so, I'm like, this is ridiculous. You know, like, <laughs> I've gotten that so many times, man. Oh, have you? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, you're, Karan, you're, you're, you're such an eloquent speaker. Wow, your vocabulary is incredibly extensive. <laughs> For who? Exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, <laughs> wow. They Karan. never tell that to other people, though. They never say that, like, to a white person. Oh, you speak so well. You're so eloquent. Like, okay. I mean, come on, man. I mean, man. Really? Someone came into my gym asking for personal training, and they, and they said, "Hi." I said, "Hey, I'm Corona. I, I run the gym," and and um, we started talking. Like, wow, man, you're so well spoken. I'm like, "What? <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> what does that even mean?" I mean, I, I, obviously, I ain't do. I didn't say anything because I'm. Yeah. I, 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 I'm so used to it. You know what I mean? We, we, we get yeah. kind of cold, and we get kind of yeah. um, we kind of push past. I'm like, whatever. Um, you gonna pay me or what? Like it's, that's, what, that's what it came to at the yeah, end of the that. day. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, but it's 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 crazy, man. But um, uh, I have another podcast in a bit. I, I really want to keep talking to you. Of course, man. Um, of course, but, man. But, the time flies by, man. It does. It does. But for the last like five minutes or so, um, I I want to leave people uh, with this, and and this is ultimately how I view things. No matter what happens, no matter what people think, what they say, what they look like, what, you know, people are going to have their own perceptions of what they believe you're capable of, what you do, what you can say, but, you know, whatever. But at the end of the day, you have agency to do just what the best you can do every single day, every single morning. And that mentality has has helped me in my life so freaking much because I don't give a F-U-C-K about what anybody else is doing i am solely focused on my s-h-i-t i swear a lot and i'm just i'm spelling it out <laughs> I don't, I, I you don't, don't know have could... to do that you know man <laughs> oh okay 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 i should have told you that people <laughs> said many dirty things on here i don't i don't really care man okay 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 <laughs> me, me, me included <laughs> <laughs> i mean man I, i'm i'm focused on, on my shit and my shit alone yeah you know what I mean? I'm focused on my family, my mom making this so I could I could pay her back for everything she's done for me. I don't give a shit about what anybody else got to say. I don't care if you think because I'm black, I, I'm not smart. I can't make it. I'm not good enough. I don't give a fuck. I will do whatever the fuck I want to do, and I will make it on my own with or without you. I, I I'm I'm smart. I'm talented. I'm gifted. I'm damn good at what I do, and I'm gonna I'm gonna change the freaking world. At the end of the day. You could be the, you could be on the train, or you could call me a nigga and move on. Like I don't give a fuck. Like you, you do what you do. I, I'm gonna do what I do. And and at the end of the day, that's that's how a lot of us got to be, um, for sure. Um, educate when we can. But I, I, as you said, it's incredibly draining to consistently have to inform people. Yeah, of of what it is. But um, I, I feel just being around us more is the key. And and not because, hey, you know, I want to learn what black people are like. So I decided to uh, just come, come in and see how you're doing today. Hey, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm blah, blah, blah. How you doing? Yeah. Tell me what it's like to be black. Like, no, yeah. just, just freaking live. And, and when you see somebody, just get to know them. Treat each human like a human being. Don't worry about their skin color. Don't worry about this and that. Just treat every person in front of you like a human being and be a good freaking person. And everything will be okay. 
It don't matter what you look like, where you're from, what your creed is. If you just treat everybody with respect and how they want to be treated or how you want to be treated, everything is going to be okay. Man, it's funny because sometimes it's more painful to for people to, to message me and be like, oh my gosh, I know things are hard. I know what you're going through. I'm like, oh, <laughs> the same thing, man. <laughs> you're assuming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've gotten so much of that, and I, I was telling my wife, I said it's just kind of like it's it's good. I don't get me wrong, it's good, but it's also kind of annoying and exhausting too at yeah. the same time. It's like so, it's like two sides of it. It's like uh it's conflicting. Yeah. It's hard, you know. Yeah, it, it comes from a good place, which is why you know I, I don't really get upset. Um, you know, but gosh, I I, I just want to be treated like a human. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That, that, come on, I, love me, man. Just love me, man. Yeah, for real, for real. <laughs> well, I don't want to take any more of your time. I know you're busy. You got another podcast, but this has been real uh, special for me. Um, Likewise, man. I, I thank you. I really enjoy. I think it's important for two black men to be talking about these subjects. I think it's going to be very powerful and hard hitting for a lot of people in many ways. But um, you know, yes, we do speak well. Okay. <laughs> 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 you better know that come on yeah, for real for real <laughs> but thank you so much karam man and uh we will be in touch uh, man, it's gonna be awesome absolutely darian um, i'm i'm actually i'm kind of sad that I, I didn't get to get to any of the biomechanics and posture stuff i wanted to talk about next time we'll do it but, next time man. yeah next time next time thank you again so much for having me on the show it's been such an honor and a blessing this was a lot of fun awesome same here man Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the Rate and Review section. Thanks, everyone.